This episode of the Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription is brought to you by Get Abstract. Go to getab.li slash rrx. Again, that's G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash rrx. This company, Get Abstract, they are a savior for me. Because back in the day, I used to do these mind maps where I would condense each episode of the Cut the Crap Show down into a handful of golden nuggets. This company does it for a living. This is what they do. They break down books into a handful of golden nuggets for you to read through. They have over 20,000 different summaries for you to peruse. Peruse. Good word. Who uses that word today? Anyways, you have over 20,000 different titles you can go ahead and look through. And I cover a lot of these books on the Cut the Crap Show. In fact, today, The Achievement Habit is on Get Abstract. So I don't cover off everything with Bernie on this episode. So if you want to learn more about this book, learn more about The Achievement Habit, get more golden nuggets from this book, then go to Get Abstract and download the summary for this book. Again, go to getab.li slash rrx to get your summary. All right, Resilience Prescription Nation, don't forget to put me in your phone. one 917 Five four zero eight one six nine. Throw me in there. Send me a text message. I will text you back. This isn't some marketing scheme where you're going to go ahead and now I get a chance to market to you. That's not my way. It's not how I do. So anyway, send me a text message. one 917 My goal is to build greater relationships with you, the listener. I want to know who's listening. I want to know what you're facing. I want to know some of the troubles you're facing. And I want to build a relationship with you. I know it sounds kind of corny. But it's a test that I want to run, and I want to give this a try. Again, one more time, one 917 Look forward to texting you later on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription. Today's book, it's a doozy. I like this one by Bernie Roth. It's called The Achievement Habit. Stop wishing, start doing, and take command of your life. Now, something we don't remember, something we just take for granted, books. So I love books so much. Books are one of those things that we take for granted because there's so many of them. But what we don't realize is that what books are is a collection of somebody's thoughts, their experiments, their wins, their losses, their biggest lessons. I'm telling you, we don't value books enough. And this book in particular, as we get into the interview, you'll understand that Bernie wrote this book Essentially, this book is his career, his lessons learned, his failures, his ups, his downs, his observations. How valuable is that for me, for you, for all of us to be able to learn from a man who's been there and done that, right? When you go back to other episodes of the Cut the Crap show, whether it's, you know, Michael Bungay, Stanier, Laura Fielding, Seth Godin, Patrick Lencioni, Jeffrey Gittimer, whatever, these people spend hundreds, thousands of hours in their craft, and they condense it all down into a book. It's valuable. And this book in particular, I love because it's a collection of Bernie's greatest lessons learned through his life. And I definitely took a lot from this. And I appreciated him sharing this with me, sharing this with you. And I hope that you also find value in this interview that I have with Bernie. In any case, take some notes. Get ready. This is a good episode. I absolutely love Bernie. His energy is great. And I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm very excited today to bring you our guest, the author of The Achievement Habit. Stop wishing, start doing, and take command of your life. My friend Bernard Roth, or Bernie Roth. How you doing, Bernie? I'm fine. Good to meet you, Ryan. <laughs> Absolutely. Likewise. Glad to uh, have you on the show. Now, this is a really important book today for a number of reasons. I think for, first and foremost, one of the reasons why I picked it up and why I reached out to you 
and your people is because I believe that we are in desperate need of greater self-awareness today, more emotional intelligence. And you provide a lot of different prompts for us to think deeply about ourselves and about the world around us. In today's book, The Achievement Habit will have us thinking way deeper about ourselves and have us thinking because I believe we don't do enough thinking today, critical thinking. And the objective of your book, I believe, really does that for me. And I think it'll do it for all of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. But before we kick into the book and dive deep into the golden nuggets, Bernie, maybe give us a quick introduction into who you are, what you do, and why you wrote this book in the first place. Surely. Uh, well, my official title is I'm the Rodney H. Adams Professor of Engineering at Stanford University. Hmm. And um, I've been at Stanford since 1962, which is a while back. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've evolved in various ways. But eventually, I got interested in creativity. And I was always doing design from an engineering point of view. But then I got involved in this whole idea of using the same concepts for everyday life and for my life as a person and for my life as a professor. And eventually that led to my being the co-founder of something called the D School at Stanford, which is an interdisciplinary institute that tries to deal with real problems in the world using all the disciplines, not just specializing in engineering or business or law or anything of that nature. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I got involved that way and um, I have been teaching creativity courses and workshops for other faculty around the world. And at one point, um, I, I got to have a year where uh, my wife wouldn't travel and I was stuck at home for a sabbatical, mm. which was unusual for me. And <laughs> I decided, well, I should write a book and out popped the achievement habit, which mm. is essentially the story of all the things I've learned in my profession for over the years and apply to others. And uh, it, it's a book where everything I say in there is, as far as I know, a true story that, uh, that I, uh, I lived through. And uh, the names are all real, except if it's not so nice about a friend, I use a different name. But otherwise, it's all actually my life. And mm -hmm. I find those things have been really important in my teaching and in my work as, as an educator. So that's sort of the background. I love that you said that this is lessons from your life. And I think that there's a lot of different lessons that we can all take from our lives. But to go back and even have the self-awareness to say, you know, my life isn't just this, you know, it's just not continuous events, but there's a lot of lessons on a lot of things that I can glean from it. But you got to have the self-awareness to pull out those lessons, to learn from them yourself and to share them with others. And so uh, I'm honored that you wrote this book and that you and I are now talking. You can share these lessons with others. So Let's kick into the very first one. Golden nugget number one. Nothing is what you think it is. And I think this is very interesting because today our perceptions lead us to truths, quote unquote, that we believe to be, you know, absolutely accurate. The gospel truth. So tell us a little bit more about this one. Nothing is what you think it is. Well, it comes from the idea that uh, you make up everything, uh, that nothing has an intrinsic meaning that you don't give it. And uh, that's really important to understand. And people uh, at first, when they hear that, they feel disempowered. But for me, it's one of the most empowering notions there can be because you become godlike. If you give everything <laughs> in the world its meaning, that's a very strong position to be at if you mm -hmm. use it correctly. And so uh, it, it, it turns out, if you think about it, you know, uh, 
one example I have in the book is like a, a mother-daughter relationship, for example. Uh, uh, I, I had a colleague who took one of my workshops and uh, she and her husband have one daughter who was very precious to them. And as part of my exercise, I had her say her daughter has no meaning and uh, she couldn't do it. It was just, it was beyond her. And eventually she did. And she realized what, what it is, is she's given that relationship a meaning. I mean, mm. if you look at it, some mothers actually uh, kill their daughters. I mean, literally, physically, mm -hmm. and then emotionally and mentally. And a lot of right. people have really terrible relationships between mother and daughters. So the whole idea that this woman is so in love with the daughter and the daughter is so in love with her is not something from the heavens. It's something that they made up and they have that relationship and they created it and they keep it going. And that's true with almost any relationship you have. So you, you, I've met uh, some of my best friends are people I didn't like at all when I first met them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, once I could let go of the not liking of them, they became my closest friends. These are people around the world. You know, I sleep in their bedroom when I come to their house mm -hmm. and they, they get my bedroom when they come to my house. They were so close. So it's, it's this whole thing that the, you give everything your meaning. And the more you realize that, the more powerful things are. And mm -hmm. the problem is uh, the negative part, you know, uh, people work with uh, pe uh, patients that are depressed with exactly that idea, reframe the whole thing that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a loser, nothing, no one likes me and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And the whole psychiatrist's point of view is you made that all up. That's all in your head. Let's right. look at your life and see what really happened. And you were just slanting it and shading it. So it's a, it, the whole idea exists in many forms in this world. But uh, if you just say, if you just get the basic idea that there's nothing that you, gives has an intrinsic meaning, it's really hard to grasp in the beginning. But if you just play with it, you can see it. You, you made it up. That's all it's about. And mm. it could be for good and it could be for ill. And you get to control that. That is very powerful. And I agree with you on that, Bertie, and the fact that you can control it. I've been there before where it was just, this was my life and this is how it is. And you're just looking at it in a more optimistic point of view, almost delusional. But when you start to realize that you control your story, that you control the meaning that you give to an event, sure it can completely change your life. One of my core philosophies and all of you out there in cut the crap podcast nation, who've been following the show for a long time, you know what that philosophy is. It's not a setback; It's a setup. No matter what happens to you in your life, no matter how bad the circumstance, the event, the trauma, if you always look for the setup, the positive, you know, the upside from the dark side, the positive from the negative, the setup from the setback, you will find it. And if you can't find it, create it, create an empowering story for yourself. And I know that at first some people say, come on, Ryan, that's corny. What's the alternative? Is the alternative believing something that disempowers you, that creates a negative narrative for your future? It's not worth it. And so I love this where you are prompting us to say, hey, nothing is what you think it is. You have complete control over that. So can you give the listeners a couple tips or an idea or some experience you've had that can help you change the meaning that you give something because people are saying hey i want to do that with myself how can they do that sure well uh 
One thing is, uh, you know, there's this expression, mind over matter, and uh, there's a kind of joke that goes with it. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and that's really a kind of interesting example because I've had people uh, do sort of bad things to me, your colleagues and stuff, and, and people I work with and people I know, and also people in my family, I'd say. And uh, if you hold on to the garage and all that, it just festers and it doesn't do anything. Uh, it, 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 and I, if I decide, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter that that guy promised me something and he didn't do it. That's happened. All right, I have to go on with my life either way. So I can go on with my life treating him as though uh, it's okay. Or I can go on in my life holding mm -hmm. a grudge and waiting to get back at him or, or dissing him every time he talks mm -hmm. to me all that. My experience is if I let go of it and I sort of treat him like a normal person, that person remembers he did something bad to me. And in a way, he's so nice to me now all the time <laughs> because, you know, even though we've never spoken about it, uh, you know, he feels guilty about what he did. So it's a good example of uh, you don't know how you how these things get controlled. And basically, once I unburden, I don't really care about how he feels about it. What I care about is is Bernie eating himself up over that. And every time I see him, do I cringe or do I now laugh? I laugh every time I see him. I just <laughs> I just see who he is, and I understand we're all different. And I'm reliable in some ways, and I'm sure that people who feel I've let them down in some ways. But we all would. I'm not an eleven person. I I always want to do good and sometimes I mess up. It's okay. It's not catastrophic unless I make it catastrophic. And it's so interesting to see people, you know, professors are awful human beings in many cases. And I work with people who have grudges with each other for 10 or 20 years. And, uh, you know, sometimes I try and step in the middle and make some peace and it often doesn't work because they're so adamant in their position how the other person is wrong and they are right. And the truth is most of it's projection. Most of us is, is, is really, we're both wrong, we're both right. And if you just let go of that stuff and don't give any valence in your life, your life becomes so much easier and better. So you get to choose. It's as simple as that. And as I say, nothing has any really intrinsic meaning other than you give it. And it's true in every relationship, in every way you see everyone, mm -hmm. the way you hold everyone, the way you hold yourself. It's, it's really interesting to just think in those terms. And it's very empowering. And it's just, you let go of it. It's freeing. And if you right. want to hold on to it and it's tearing you down, you're doing it. That's your, your call. Mm. Great reminders for us. And uh, in the book, you know, you mentioned a term called functional fixedness, and it's a yeah. cognitive bias that uh, causes us to view things in only the most obvious ways. Sure. And this is yeah. where I think you challenge us to say, hey, look at things a little bit deeper. Look for other meaning. Uh, you know, a, 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 the box is cereal, right? It holds food, but it also offers a source of cardboard and wax paper that you can use. So sure. the lesson from here is, listen, be well, open to new possibilities because yeah. there's and many that, here that, that holds both with and the examples you're citing are physical things and mm. it's certainly true but it also holds true in interpersonal relationships and again you you give it the meaning and often you're mistaken i mean that's really the interesting thing about it mm -hmm. that people will if sometimes if i confront it it's oh no i really didn't mean that bernie you totally missed <laughs> right. it and there's so much misunderstanding in the world that it's really good to uh, 
not get uh, blocked up by these fixed fixed uh, things that this means that and this means that and this means implies such and such and it's it's if it's it's usually not very useful no and it, you know it's a, a good example is before we move on to the next golden nugget i'll just finish up with this one piece there's a gentleman who goes on um who went on joe rogan's podcast this was about, about six months ago six to twelve months ago can't quite remember but um this individual uh an african-american man um, goes and talks to members of the Ku Klux Klan. And he's made it his life's purpose to convert these men yes. to people who are now uh, looking at African-Americans, black people in a completely different light. And at the very end of it, they give, I get cold shivers when I talk about this, weird, but I, I, the, the, the members of the Ku Klux Klan, after talking with this man and after forming a friendship and understanding a different perspective and hey, black people aren't what you thought they were, they hand over their cloak and they burn them together. Yeah. As, a, as a sign of, of, of them coming together. And I think that's yeah. so beautiful. And I think that we as a society, as a world today, need to be doing more to challenge the beliefs that we have, especially the negative ones. Open yeah. ourselves up to new possibilities because as you say, things aren't always what we think they are. Yeah. So now let's go on to golden nugget number two. Who controls your brain? Now, I like this one because it's very interesting. And I, again, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. I talk about this on uh, the other shows that we have here, Brain Jiu-Jitsu, Create Your Eight. And uh, now we'll talk about it here. But let's talk a little bit more about who controls your brain. Sure. Perform us on this. Yeah. Well, we have this picture, which is absolutely wrong, <laughs> that uh, we're uh, rational beings and we think about stuff and then we logically... Uh, way to possibilities and then we do an action and the truth is most of our actions are on all the autonomous nervous system they're just done automatically so you don't think about unless you had some injury you don't think about walking mm -hmm. uh, i'm not thinking about talking now i'm just talking to you without really thinking uh, uh, i i eat without thinking i do almost everything in my life without thinking and th there's a uh, a book that talks about thinking fast and thinking slow, uh, but that's the same idea. So fast thinking is just stuff you're doing automatically, and that's most of your life. And then there are some things you do think about at a great length and make a, a ponderous decision and choices and stuff, but that's a very, very small thought percentage of a thought. So we, we may have something like 60,000 thoughts a day or some astronomical number, and most of them are just repeated thoughts. They're just, they're just keeping the machinery working and all that. So that's the model you have. And so when someone says to you, uh, why did you do something? You'll give them a reason for what you did, and it's total bullshit. You just made that up. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason that makes you feel good and makes you look good. So uh, if someone, if, for example, whenever I get to this point uh, right now, my mouth is starting to be dry. So uh, if you said to me, well, Bernie, why is your mouth dry? I said, well, I'm talking to you. I'm talking a lot and therefore my mouth is dry. Uh, and that's logical. And everything I said is true, except the cause and effect part. So it is true that my mouth is dry. It is true I'm talking a lot. 
but there are a lot of other truths that I'm not telling you about. So I'm not telling you that I drank a bottle of wine last night. I'm not telling you that I'm always dehydrated. My wife is saying you never drink enough of fluids and about 10 other things that I don't want to go into here, which <laughs> might also contribute to my mouth being dry. So of all the things that might contribute to it, and maybe it's a bunch of them, I don't know. I'm picking the one that seems most logical and makes Bernie look sort of okay and doesn't reveal anything I don't want to reveal about myself. And that's the way we always are. And people have done tests. They've put uh, uh, subjects into MRI machines and they give them a, a task to do, like push a button or push a green button or red button and, uh, and uh, tell me why you did it and why you made the choice. Uh, they're not pushing button, but they're telling you what button to push and tell me why did you make that choice. And it turns out the part of the brain that deals with the mechanical stuff of moving the button uh, fires before the part of the brain that comes up with the reason. Mm. So basically, it's an example of we do stuff and then if you need to come up with a reason, uh, you will. But you're not, the reason doesn't predate the action, it follows the mm -hmm. action. <laughs> and that's right. So, uh, that's kind of how we're wired most of the time. So uh, I have many times had this experience where I make up to do something in my mind, and the next two minutes later, I'm doing something else. And I don't know why, where that came from. And right. so if you ask me why I'm doing something else, I'll give you some hokey reason for it. But in fact, it's just happening because of my, the way I'm wired and my body is so complicated. You know, there's, there's environment, there's DNA, there's all mm -hmm. sorts of hormones. And there's I mean, just a million things that in, influence everything we do. So this whole idea of picking one reason for anything is kind of not valid. It's, it's true. And I have this expression, reasons of bullshit. And it's a very <laughs> strong statement, but in fact, it's important to understand that the reasons are generally just excuses or ways to make yourself look good. They really don't uh, correspond with the specific single cause for the action. And mm -hmm. basically, there's no single cause for any action because you can't isolate the different parts of you there's so many, you, you have such a long history, uh, your genes go back God knows how many generations, uh, the stuff in your body comes back from creation of some sort, God knows how many billions of years ago. So the point simply is, you're such a complex mechanism that this whole idea that one simple reason drives your action is bogus. And yet it's, we need that to kind of assume we're in control. So the point to understand you're really not in control. You, 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 you have this complex machine and this thing you call your brain, whatever part of it you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, will make things work and stuff for you. And hopefully it works well, but really it's too complex to have any one reason for anything. Now, if you ask me, Bernie, why are you on my show? I'll give you a nice way. I say, well, because you invited me. But that's so simple, simplistic because you might have invited me. I might not have accepted. And uh, you might have even not chosen not to invite me. So there's so many complexities in, in any one transaction that it's impossible to have one specific cause for it. And it doesn't really matter in most cases. But in many cases, 
these these reasons become excuses and are defeating your action and what you'd like to do. So they're they're, they're just excuses, which is mm -hmm. a pejorative thing. Reasons we take is a laudatory thing, but really often they kind of cross the line. And if you understand that, it's a very powerful thing. I agree. Uh, a part of this where you say who controls your brain, I always yeah. like to use the example of um, to kind of make more sense out of it. I like to say that we have two brains. You have the, the monkey brain that I like to claim is, uh, you know, it's the, the primitive brain, the, the reactionary brain. Uh, it's the amygdala. And then you have the more modern brain, the brain that we need for today, the prefrontal cortex. And not to say we don't need the amygdala because there's absolutely uh, a lot of valid uses for that. But our initial uh, reaction is usually more of a fight or flight kind of run away. And it's our second thought. It's that training our prefrontal cortex that often incorporates more logic and fuels a better outcome. And I'll give you a quick example that was really funny. I was um, pulling into this, this back alleyway and there were cars parked at an angle to my left and uh, I could have just sped right through. I saw a woman, an elderly lady reversing. I saw her lights on and I could have sped right through, but I said, nah, you know, I'll wait. So as she reverses, she starts to reverse and her nose starts to face me. So I think that she's going to reverse a little bit more, make some space for me to drive through, and then we go on with our day. But no, she backs up and drives forward, indicating she wants me to reverse. But if I reverse back, I got to reverse back, you know, quite a distance into a busy street. And I'm like, no. So I, I point to her. I'm like, no, go back. And she looks at me. She goes, you go back. And the first part of me, the monkey brain just says, oh, how dare you? I waited for you to back up and now you're telling me to back up you, you know, just yes. all the types of anger and whatever. So I, I, I do what you recommend in here. You say, stand still and don't do what your body pushes you to do. Breathe deeply, observe how your body feels, access, access a pleasant memory to feel upbeat and content. And now that you're calmer, consider healthier options. No lie, no BS. I sat down and I took a breath and I knew it was just going to be awkward. us sitting there kind of the, you know, the standoff. And we're sitting there. She's waiting. She's like, what's this guy doing? He's going to reverse. I take a deep breath. I calm down and I picture, okay, I'm going to get out of the car and talk to her very nicely with a nice soft voice and tell her, hey, I was nice enough to wait for you to back up instead of speeding right through and scare you and disturb you. Would you mind backing up a little bit? So I got out of the car and had that exact conversation with her and she didn't look very happy, but she goes, all right, fine. Much better result. She backs yeah. up. I go through, I wave to her. She waves to me. We both get on with her day and it was a great ending. Now, if I had followed that initial response, my first thought, my gut reaction, that would have turned out much worse for us. An argument, it would have ruined our day. And I love this right here where you suggest to us, hey, take a moment, stop, breathe, pause. I believe so many of us in society need to do this today because we're far too emotional, far too reactionary, and we need to learn to train to use that logical part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, to help us cooperate more in society. And I think that's a great lesson that you teach all of us here. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. Take, take a break and say, what, what do I want the outcome to be? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this, this golden nugget in particular, golden nugget number three, right and wrong. This one's so fascinating to me because in life we think that, listen, man, I'm right. You're wrong. I don't like to be wrong. I like to be right. And we fight to be right. And that is not the way to do things, not the way to create understanding. So talk to us about why you put this one in the book, right and wrong. Sure. What happened is I had a uh, big argument with my wife. And just to jump ahead, uh, 
I have no idea what that argument was about at this point. <laughs> and, and I had no idea when I wrote the book, but I recalled the intensity. We had this really big argument and I was supposed to go to visit a friend who lived a few blocks away. And I left the house in a huff. And as I was walking along, I kept thinking about how I, I was right and she was wrong and, I, and how wrong she was and how stupid she was and how she was this and that. And, blaming her. And then I looked up and it was one of these cold days that was just beautiful. The trees were just magnificent. It was around Christmas time. And it was just a wonder. I was seeing things in like five dimensions. It was like really sort of like looking at the world through an acid trip or something like that. <laughs> and I felt so happy at the moment. And then I re realized, no, no. And I put my head down and I went back to being miserable and to criticizing mm -hmm. her in my head. And that repeated about uh, four times. Uh, and just about a block before I got to my friend's house, I realized, you know, if I just give up my wife, making my wife wrong and just forget about it, and I could just enjoy this gift mm. that's being given to me, and I did. And to this day, I have flashbacks of that. Whenever I'm in a wooded area, it, that feeling and the, the, the look at those trees comes back to me. And it just did now, you know, I'm, I'm sheltering at home, so I do a lot of walks in the woods now. And I keep feeling that the gift that I'd gotten that day, and I would have never had it if I was just being stubborn and still fighting over being right or wrong. So the mm -hmm. truth is, uh, even if you're right and you get involved in that, you, you, lose, you lose out. So just this whole idea of bickering and fighting with someone and, and holding your position and all, it's, it's a losing thing. It's the analogy is, you know, you're, you're in a gambling house and the house takes a cut, whether you win or lose, the house always gets its cut. And this is the same idea. Playing uh, right and wrong in generally, you lose even if you think you won. And uh, if you understand that, it, it's really good. And it goes back to your example with the woman and the backing up. You know what I mean? You were right you, in your opinion. She was right in her opinion. But it really didn't matter who was right or wrong. It was a matter of getting the thing handled in a way which is sort of a win-win situation, mm -hmm. which is what you explained to her when you got out of the car. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, a, even though we had it in a different topic, it's a great example of this whole idea of being right and wrong. And it's just, uh, for most people, it's, of course, a projection. They, they feel uh, diminished and they project it onto the other person that, uh, that the, they're feeling. And, and it gets so complex that mm -hmm. it's not even, uh, it, it has nothing to do with the argument. It has to do with mm -hmm. status and mm -hmm. things like that that get us into big trouble. That's so right. it's really important to understand it. It's not, you, you don't win just because, you, even if you win the argument, you don't win. That's right. <laughs> That's just, it should never be arguing and that's mm -hmm. kind of right and wrong idea. It, it's okay to disagree and it's okay to have a constructive uh, discussion on stuff, but it's not okay to try and show someone how wrong they are uh, because they, you know, it doesn't matter. It really, you, you made up that whole thing. It's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of what, what, what's behind it? What, what's the purpose of the discussion? And what, where are we trying to get with that kind of thing? Mm. We're in this world today that the climate is very much about, you know, I'm right, you're sure. wrong, listen to me, my perspective is right, yours isn't. 
And I think this, again, begs the question to increase your self-awareness. We should be doing way more asking of questions than we should be just prescribing people our beliefs, our philosophies, our values, and pushing it onto others and saying, this is how you should act. Act more like me. I'm right. And I think that really, that's a mistake because we're not considering everybody's point of view. We're not considering the path that they walked. One of my good friends on uh, another show that we host as part of the Resilience Prescription, he suggested one technique that I really love, and it makes me think all the time, is that I could be you, the person that I'm fighting with or the person that I used to despise. I could be that person if I grew up with the same influences, the same people, the same events, the same support system. I could be that person. And at first glance, everybody says, no, you can't. I wouldn't turn out that way because I think differently. No, 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 no. You think differently because you were taught to think differently. And so what this does, it humanizes people and it it increases my empathy for that other individual. And so from trying to prove somebody right and wrong, I think that's a a habit that we all have. And I think that if we want to develop this achievement habit, as you say, I think we need to do more asking of questions and finding the positives and finding the joy in every activity. Um, And I think that we really need to alter how we think about every single issue. And yes, it's easier said than done. I get it because our amygdala, our monkey brain wants to push us to be right, to right. We want to feel that ego. We want to feel good. We want to get that rush of dopamine by being right. But we have to engage our prefrontal cortex, our rationality, our logical part of our brain to say, hey, it's not about being right or wrong. That's not going to help the situation here. And I think that this is a great lesson, a great reminder for all of us to keep in mind. If you find, you know, if most people, uh, the things they think they've arrived at rationally uh, are really come, come from the multitude of, of the genetic makeup and the mm-hmm. environment and all that. So, for example, most people keep the same religion they were born into, or, or if they're atheists, they keep their parents' atheism. Uh, people essentially do a lot of things that, uh, if they were born in some other house and some other household, they would do the opposite thing and think that's right and normal. Mm. And as you say, it's just a matter that there's a lot of diversity in the world. We all come from different areas and we're in different environments and therefore we're biased towards certain er- right. certain viewpoints and certain things. And as you say, if, if someone had lived in a different neighborhood, they'd have a whole other set of viewpoints. Of and you know, the thing that's going on now in America and around the world about uh, Black Lives Matter and all that, again, you see a lot of white people out demonstrating who never would have gone out before, but now because of this horrendous video of someone's uh, police officers of uh, knee on someone's neck, uh, they're they're motivated to understand the other point of view that Mm -hmm. there's a group of people who have been victimized by their reactions with the authorities and Mm -hmm. uh, they feel very sympathetic. So you you get suddenly people who would have never cared suddenly alive to a different point of view. So it's really interesting uh, to see how these things go once people's minds are open up and they understand other points of view. Golden nugget number four, decision and indecision. Now, I love this one because you mentioned something here that, I, that really caught my attention. Maybe you can open up with this. Burden's ass paradox. <laughs> Lead us through decision and indecision and touch on Burden's ass paradox, please. Yeah. Well, it's actually, you know, I live with that because my son is <laughs> it's inborn that way. And the paradox, it's, 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 a, it's an old sort of logic, but the, there's this donkey who uh, has to make a choice 
and uh, he doesn't know whether to eat this thing or to eat the other thing because they both look equally good. And he ultimately dies because he didn't make the choice because he couldn't figure out which was better and all that. And this whole idea that uh, we, we have this problem of choosing uh, is a really interesting uh, thing. And I have a son who's that burden, is a burden, not for him, he enjoys it, but for me it's a burden because <laughs> I can never get him to decide if what, you know, what time we're gonna meet or when we're gonna do it because he's always thinks some better opportunity may come along and uh, why commit to something which is lesser? So he waits till the last minute to make a decision. We joke about that a lot in the <laughs> family. Uh, and all his girlfriends who've read my book, uh, point that out to him <laughs> yeah. but uh, basically uh the decision making is a really interesting thing and i you know being a professor uh i get a lot of students who come into my office hours and want to discuss their future and their life and whether to go to grad go on for a, a master's or a phd degree or to go out and take a job or to, whether to take this job or that job so it's a lot of this decision making that people deal with and and I find that, in fact, most of the time, uh, they sort of do know the answer. So I, I have two, two things I do. Uh, one is I have this, uh, even though I'm a peaceful guy and actually don't own a gun, I hold my finger up as though it's a gun to their head. And I say, you have uh, 10 seconds to decide, is it this or that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, usually they know the answer. They, they, they may not do that ultimately. They, they may not go on that choice. But at that moment, they really do have an answer. They just don't want to come to a conclusion and give up this, this kind of agony of making a choice. And there's some pleasure in that. See, there seems to be some human pleasure in having a decision to make. And that agony, it's a, something you can talk to your friends about, your family about. It, it gives you some more gravitas in a way rather than just having made a decision that doesn't have much gravitas with it <laughs> but basically uh with my finger to the head thing people do come up with an answer right away and i've, I've never had someone who didn't have an answer and uh, well, the other thing i like to do is take them on their life journey and then just say uh, if you make this choice what will happen and uh, what would happen next what will happen next and ultimately whatever they say the, the end of the story is they die and then i say well let's mm -hmm. say you make the other choice what happens and they go through the whole series mm -hmm. and the end they die also so mm -hmm. the truth is we know where we are now we know where we're going to end up all of us and in a way uh, we often put too much weight on this whole idea of decisions and uh it's just it doesn't matter nobody can know you see you can't uh, i have people who write books on planning your life. I don't think that's possible. Uh, it might be useful to go through those exercises, but my life, everything that's almost every, well, I don't even say everything, everything that really is significant that happened to me happened by happenstance. I didn't plan it. It was a phone call I wasn't expecting. Something came. Someone said something. I met someone. I met someone. Uh, like the, the the book I wrote, for example, I didn't have an agent. I wrote a book without having an agent. <laughs> and then uh, I 
turned out I should get an agent. And I had no idea and all that. And I met some guy for lunch who was a big shot in the publishing world. And I said, uh, do you know a good agent? He says, yeah, I know a good agent in New York. Uh, send me something and I'll contact her. And he did. And it turned out wonderful. So I couldn't have planned to meet this guy for lunch. Right. <laughs> and I had no rational way of finding this person. And mm -hmm. my life has been full of things like that, really. Right. Just... Uh, True. Everyone significant, everything that happened, happened just in the normal course of living. And mm -hmm. that's what happens to most of us. We're just living, things come up, we say yes, we say no. Sometimes we make the wrong choice, and, and that's our life. And right. uh, it's that way. And just being open to things is really what's important, rather than this whole idea of uh, every choice is life and death. And my right. example at Stanford, I had a job at Columbia University, and I was offered an interview at Stanford. I figured, well, the world owed me a trip, free trip to California. So I came not thinking there was any chance in the world I would take a job here, because I loved New York, where I grew up, and I loved the professor I was going to work with in New York. And I came out here, and I met this man who was a very unusual person and uh, they offered to hire me and I figured well this would be a real opportunity to see something different if I worked mm -hmm. with this guy so I at the last minute switched positions came out here and a year later he died mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was my whole reason for coming out here and you know, I've been at Stanford for over 50 years and wow. the whole thing for coming and it was a great move I'm really glad it all happened mm. And it was not a logically thought out thing. It was more of an emotional uh, choice at the moment with a lot of uh, trepidation. So that's, and there are many stories like that in my yes. life. Most people I talk to, their lives are similar. Mm -hmm. Most people's lives, uh, you know, the fact that you're doing a podcast probably wasn't, you didn't start out thinking about that when you were right. 10 years old, uh, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's important to realize you, sh you know, decisions are important and you should make them and make them as best you can. But most of them are not irreversible. And most of them, there's no way of knowing where it's going to take you making it one way or the other. That's so right. if you enjoy the agony, stay with it. But if you want to just get rid of the agony, just do whatever you need. Flip a coin or yeah. call like a psychic advisor or whatever you want. But nobody knows what the future is going to bring with any of these things. You know, it goes back to what we were saying on the previous golden nugget of right and wrong. And we talk about right and wrong in relation to others, but even with ourselves and that we make making the right decision so difficult. We always want to make the right decision. And the challenge with that, though, is that you'll never make the right decision. Um, you can always learn from your past. You can always learn from the opportunities that you've had. So one of my friends on Brain Jiu-Jitsu, he uh, always says, Ryan, you know what? The one thing I admire about you is that you never think that you're going to make the wrong decision or that you never regret a bad decision. And it's true. I, I don't regret any, any decision I made because I will pull a positive from every single negative that I have. Yeah. And I'll so, need that to teach me to take the next step in life. Yeah. So again, don't think too hard about what's right and wrong. Uh, trying to make a decision. Your techniques here of the, um, uh, the gun test or the life's journey method, both of these are great techniques to force you to either look forward to the future and see where it's going to take you or force you to make a decision. And I think we need to, in a lack of a better word, you know, shit or get off the pot sometimes and make yeah. that decision and live with it and find the lesson from it. Yeah, so I, I'd say uh, it's kind of silly to worry about a right or wrong decision. 
but ultimately once you've made it every decision is the right decision that's right yeah, that's exactly right <laughs> i like that it. yeah so i mean you know it's not a question and again if you think it's the wrong decision you made that up it gets back mm -hmm. to our first discussion you've made up everything in your life you're giving it uh, its meaning and you right. it's not what you think it is so That's it's true. a question of you, if you get something and then you regret what happened, you say it's a wrong decision, you spend your next 10 years stewing about this, it's ridiculous. If you uh, did, I made the decisions, the right decision, and this turned out not to be what I think, then what can I do to change it to make it work better for me? Absolutely. So that's the main thing to forget about the point of view, you've done it. And once you've done it, you're in the new situation. It's a new game and play the game as that's the only game you're in right now. That's right. There's two more golden nuggets here and they really play well together and we'll, we'll get through them quickly here. The next one is golden nugget. Number five is who's really stopping you. And I love this because we get caught up in the blame game. We blame our loved ones. We blame our boss. We blame our friends. And we get too caught up in this. So talk to us about this one. Yeah. Who's really well, stopping you? It's funny. So we do a lot of exec ads and things like that. And generally uh, in my workshop uh, at the end, I'll say, well, all right, you've had this experience for whatever it is, the weekend or the week or whatever. And uh, you're going back to your life after this. Uh, what are you going to take with you? And what would you really like to change when you go back? And I have them think about that and say, and then I ask, um, uh, how many, I ask, raise your hand if you think uh, you'll definitely be able to do that change. And okay, mm -hmm. how many of you think you might be able to do it? And how many are not sure? And how many pretty sure you won't be able to do it? And then I'd say, well, those of you who won't be able to do it, who's going to stop you? <laughs> and uh, generally, it comes down to, well, my boss or my wife or, uh, or this, or I don't have enough money or whatever. And it, it, I then work with them individually and point out that there's only one answer. The answer is yourself. And uh, it's, as, it's as simple as that that what, what's going to stop you is you're not going to really put enough uh, intention into doing it. So if you want something to happen, you have to give it attention. But not only do you have to give it some attention, you have to give it the, the intention of getting it done. And if there's some obstacles you hit or something like that, you, you don't give up, use that as a good reason to, uh, to, to quit you have to work your way around the obstacles. And people find that in working the way around obstacles when they come, that's where the magic is and that's where they get even a better solution than if they had gone straight forward and they had no, no interference. So the whole idea is that the only one that's gonna stop you is you, no matter what the circumstances are, because whatever they are, you should be able to figure a way around them. And in doing that, you'll get to somewhere you wouldn't have gotten to beforehand. And that's a magical gift of the way stuff works. So it's really important to realize it, that you're the one who's stopping yourself, no one else. Mm. It's such a good reminder. And again, it's funny, our last guest on the, uh, one of our previous guests on the Cut the Crap show, Dr. Laura Fielding, she wrote the book, Mastering Adulthood. She made a funny comment. She goes, if uh, you want to pay a therapist for the rest of your life, all you have to do is just continue to blame your parents for the reasons that you are where you are today. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. And I laugh. We both laugh because it's true. And the fact that if you continue to blame other people for where you are at today, yes. uh, for the results that you have, 
then you give up all power. You give up all control. And yeah. it's about taking control of the decisions you've made, whether they're right or wrong. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, take it on yourself. You are in control. You are where you're at today because of the decisions that you've made. So who's really stopping you? Is it anybody or is it yourself? And then getting back to our first point is you give everything its meaning. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the last golden nugget here, the, the one that I want to wrap up with here, golden nugget number six, self-image by design. Now, I really love this one because how you see yourself affects what you can accomplish. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about this one as you wrap this up. Sure. Right. Well, you know, we all have a thing called a self-image, which is how we think we are. And it may be valid and it may be delusional. You know, it can be any or a little bit of both, maybe in most cases. But the point simply is, uh, if you are not fixed in concrete the way your self-image is, so even if, 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 if it's accurate and you don't like it, you can change it. And there's nothing that's going to stop you from changing the stuff. It gets back to the thing we just said, who's going to stop you? And the other thing is, oh, you give everything its meaning. And the other thing is don't use reasons. All these things we talked about come full blast into this whole idea of your self-image. Because if you can become other things than you are, you weren't necessarily... Uh, you know, I used to have a friend, her mother was over 100 years old, and this woman was in those days maybe uh, six, maybe uh, 70 years old, and <laughs> kept blaming this old woman in an old age home for the way she is. Well, you know, there comes a time when you have to take some responsibility. It's certainly important what happens in your youth, and parental influence is really important and can tilt you one way or the other. But at some point, uh, you're in charge, basically, and you can get over these things. It may be very hard, and it may be very easy. But at any rate, you can do that by giving up the reasons why you can't, which is just bullshit. That's right. That's right. You know, in this one in particular, you say that um, uh, use adjectives. So describe yourself as you are today using five adjectives. Because... Our self-image is essentially developed over time uh, from the perceptions that we create through childhood. And so you want us to, at this point in time, take a look at ourselves and use five adjectives to describe ourselves. And then you challenge us to go get five friends or relatives to list five adjectives about us. So how does that list differ from our list, from their list? What's the difference there? And I think that the most important thing with this does is it increases self-awareness, how I see myself, how others see me, and it creates more, it's a thought experiment and it gives you an opportunity to think deeply about yourself. The thing that I find most empowering about this is that you're challenging us to start designing and changing our lives because we are the author of our personal story. We are the heroes of our story. We are the lead actor or actress of our story and we assign meaning to ourselves and everyone else in our saga. So how do we give meaning to our story? And I love how you give us that tip because it really helps us look at ourselves in the bigger picture of our story. And I think that that's something valuable that we all need to do, a great exercise. Yeah, yeah. and you don't have, just one add, you, if it's a big change, it's not gonna happen overnight and miraculously with a stroke of lightning. And one of the ways these things happen is one step at a time. So you build efficacy by small successes. And that's a common technique to get from here to there is just do it a little bit at a time and um, 
build in successes and then suddenly you're now the person who can do this and the person who can do that and often it's really rewarding to change and see different aspects of yourself and I, I find it's very empowering to realize uh, you know you never thought you could do something and then you realize yes I can do it and everyone Nobody was born doing everything. The most powerful right. person in the world was not born doing anything more than you were probably. So the point simply is you have to get there by building it up uh, and not just using excuses why you can't do it. And it gets down to, do you have the intention, the really the intention to do it? And are you willing to give it the attention it requires to get it done? And those are important things to realize if you want to change your self-image. That is the achievement habit. Stop wishing, start doing, and take command of your life. My friend, Bernie Roth. Bernie, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story, your wisdom, your takeaways with all of us here in uh, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. I truly appreciate it. And for anybody out there who wants to connect with you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, how can they go about doing that? Um, well, it's been my pleasure to be here. I'd say uh, a good way is that I have a website for the book. It's the title of the book without the the in it. Someone ripped off the the. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's www.achievementhabitoneword.com. And you'll get to a website which has a lot of stuff about the book and some lectures I've given and other, uh, keys to other things. So that's the best possible way. If you want to contact me, you can send me an email at broth, uh, B-R-O-T-H at stanford.edu. So that's easy to remember. Um, and uh, otherwise, I wish you all have a good life. And uh, in, if you read the book, I hope you enjoy it. Many readers have sent me wonderful things about it. And, uh, I hope it would work in your life too. And again, thanks. Thank you very much, Brian, for having me on the show. Right, there we have it. That's the achievement habit. Stop wishing, start doing, and take command of your life by my friend Bernie Roth. If you love this episode, then go to my friends at Get Abstract, because Get Abstract did a summary of this one, and they have more golden nuggets in there for you. So if you want to check it out, if you want to get the PDF summary, save it to your computer, save it to your iPad, whatever, your tablet, go ahead and do that. Go to getab.li slash rrx. That's G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash rrx. Get yourself this summary. Also, don't forget to throw me a text message. I always put this out there because I want you to throw me a text message. one 540 8169 Send me a message. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Let me know what your top golden nugget was from this episode. I really want to hear from you, and I will text you back. That I can guarantee. Again, that's one 540 all right, that is a wrap for today, my friends. I hope that you have a fantastic day today, a productive day, and of course, above all else, do your absolute best to make today a great day. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. Take care. Take care.